Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Yeah, it's not like these great ideas are just like mythical unicorns that we can't grasp. Like they're out there. They're going to come back. Customers are going to ask for them. Issues are going to occur. Like there is no idea that's so amazing it's going to change your business that is also forgettable. Of course. That's not a thing. And if it's a real priority, it answers a real felt tension and you don't forget about those. You don't show up to the meeting and go like, oh, we forgot that we haven't sold anything and that we have to (laughs) fire everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my always ready co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about this and that. We've had a lot of topics come across our desk in the last few weeks, and we want to pick them off one at a time. But before we go into all that, let's do our check-in. Let's check in. Let's check in. The one for today is, what is one simple thing that still blows your mind? (laughs) This one's fun because you can go a lot of directions with it. For me right now, the thing that really blows my mind when I meditate on it even a little bit hard is that most of the space that makes objects around us is actually empty space. So like, if you actually look at the size of the nucleuses of the atoms in a book or in your phone, the vast majority of what's there is not there. It's like a, it's like an illusion that there's an object there that's solid. And so the empty space all around us and in our hands is, and in us, is what blows my mind. I'm not going to make a comment about the legalization of weed right now. <laughs> that's great. Yes, I. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Yeah, I have a hard time answering this question. I'm odd every day of my life. But one thing that I always look forward to and never disappoints is my first cup of coffee in the morning. Mm. And it really, it's mind-blowing for a variety of reasons. Coffee is fucking awesome, and I love it. And sometimes at night, when I turn off the light, my last thought before falling asleep is about the coffee the next morning. (laughs) But what is actually mind-blowing about it is that I have been drinking coffee since I was like 16 years old, and I still like it just as much. Like, every day is just as magical. What can you say that about? Very few things. Everything else in the world, there's a return on investment that degrades over time, not coffee. Coffee's huh. always the best. So both of our check-in answers had a connection to addiction. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But okay. legal, legal ones. 
Well, yeah, fair enough. All right, so today's topic is this and that. And so we're going to riff on a few topics that have come in from listeners over the past few weeks. And my question to you is, where do you want to start? Okay, so we've gotten really good questions. Y'all are getting just like smarter and smarter and craftier all the time. So these all came in to podcast at the ready or or were posed to one of us individually specifically as please answer this on the pod. So for real, if you want answers, we got them. Send us your questions. So the first one, which I enjoyed reading, is about back channeling. Mm. So somebody asked us like, what is back channeling? And is it okay? And... Should we allow it to continue? And what do we do if we don't want it to continue? And like, how does it relate to things like open door policies? Basically, just what's the lay of the land on back channeling? So I'll let you kick that one off. I feel like you and I both have very strong opinions about this. <laughs> well, I think the the first thing to say is that I I and we, the ready, have have struggled with this over the years. We've definitely had periods where there was more back channeling going on and periods where we kind of got it out of our system. Another word for back channeling is gossip and another one might be like politics. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is generally a bad thing. The way I have been parsing it in the past is if you are doing it as a way to avoid taking action, having a confrontation, being candid reconciliation, like wh whatever the hard work is, if the easy work is for you to just back channel or bitch to somebody else, then that's probably something that we need to punt. Mm -hmm. And if what you're doing is actually helping you prepare or orient or sense make in order to take action, and you actually do with a trusted advisor or friend or colleague, then maybe it's okay. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like my, you know, 30,000 foot take on back channel. Yeah. Wait, have I given you my gossip speech about, like, tribalism in no, systems? No, please do. So I learned this a long time ago when I was doing a lot of reading about in-group and out-group orientation. And gossip plays a very important role in tribes. And it does a few things. It has it has a real function. And I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. The function of gossip is effectively contracting. So right. when I come to you with gossip, I am telling you what the aversive behavior is that I don't like. And I'm telling you what the consequences for doing that behavior, which is that I'm going to talk shit about you. I do that. <laughs> so it actually serves a real purpose in uh -huh. groups. It's just that when it stays under the surface for too long, it it isn't useful and it doesn't scale well. Right. So ideally to me, if we have that conversation, then your coaching to me would be something like, yeah, what is the explicit thing to be done about that? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's like not that different than what we say in client projects, which is like, just assume that any interpersonal tension you're holding is telling you something about the system. I think gossip is no different. So it's like, is what I'm learning about the system that actually there's no place for me to channel my personal tensions? Maybe we're missing an interaction right, or a meeting right. or a feedback tool. Is it that my teammates are not performing at a level that's satisfactory? Maybe we need training or we need a different kind of mechanism of mastery. Like what I'm interested in is not just letting the sort of swirl continue, but taking it as real information that can actually nudge the system. Mm-hmm. 
But I but I totally agree with you that just like letting it stay, you know, in shadow is not useful and letting it stay and 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 sort of fester as being interpersonal is also not useful. Right. So right. it's like, you know, if what I'm hearing is like a lot of chatter about, you know, <laughs> how equity is distributed, fine, like let's not let's not triage the chatter. Let's have a conversation about our way of distributing equity and yeah. use that as real data to try something different. Yeah, I appreciate that, especially as someone that is too dense to pick up the hint from like you constantly gossiping to me about X and being totally unself-aware that I'm doing it too. So yeah, that makes sense. And I and I think the difference here, you know, the question asks about open door policies. I think the difference here is if what you're bringing into the open door is about what's out there. Yeah. And and them and yeah. what they're doing, then that's not really a good open door policy. An open door policy for me is like, my door is open for your shit with me. Yeah. Projects, issues, ideas, challenges, feedback, et cetera. As soon as it's about them, then the wrong door is open. Yeah. And and we have, you know, an opportunity to do something different. And I like that you suggested about going to, well, what are the new working agreements that we can try? Or even before we get to an agreement, are there just experiments we can try to yeah. kind of push or nudge on those spaces? So And yeah. I feel like like two that brings up two things for me. One is like, you know, I think you and I in our last mile meeting do a really good job, if I can pat us on the back for a moment, of never talking about an individual or right. an interpersonal thing, but it being like, you, you know, often me being like, I'm sensing this thing is missing in our OS. What could we propose to the system? Let's get to drafting on it. Yeah, And it's like, to me, that's like the, the more useful move is rather than being like, Aaron, this person is mad at us for this reason. I'm like, <laughs> this is what I'm noticing in terms of how people are interacting with this policy or questions people are asking in Slack or whatever. What might we try to shift it? And the other thing is about gossip in general and back channeling and all of this is there is also a move in here that's related to self-management that I think is important, which is like, we all have a need sometimes to just be heard and held and like blow off steam. And I actually don't think there's anything wrong with doing that with mm -hmm. colleagues that you trust. Mm -hmm. And it is really helpful if you can articulate that to them. So like, you know, Allie is often the keeper of my frustrations about my life in general because we have a relationship like that. And like Allie knows that when I'm having that conversation with her, I will specifically be like, I just need to talk about this for five minutes and put it into someone else's brain. And then I'm ready right. to move on. Like, I don't need you to go do something about it. I don't need you to solve my problem. I don't even need you to like empathize with me. I just need a container. Are you willing to be that? Yes. Great. Now we're done. And like, now we are no shit done. Like, we're not going to talk about this again. Yep. I think part of self-management is knowing what your own need is and your own motivation for starting the back channeling. Yep. Figuring out how you're going to get that need met and not just enrolling a bunch of people in your shit, hoping they'll figure it out for you. <laughs> yeah. And there's a clue in the word, too. I, you know, I, I think the idea of a back channel assumes that there is a channel. Yeah. And, and what is... And what is often what is often the case in in self managing systems is there's a network. Yeah. So there isn't like a direct channel or like the front way to do it and the back way to do it. There's just like a lot of different people connected in a lot of different ways, and yeah. it's on us to navigate. So I think you know using using some of the 
tips and tricks we just discussed, you can navigate as best you can. And frankly, it's definitely an area for mastery. Like knowing what to do and doing it well are two different things in this area. So, you know, walk the path. So next stop will be the subject of peer-to-peer feedback and and more broadly, like the directionality of, of feedback and information flow within a system. A lot of traditional systems have, you know, top-down, bottoms-up approach where complaints and information is fed up and directions and, you know, feedback are fed down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this particular listener was kind of probing the idea of like, how does it work laterally? How do we get colleagues to a place where they're comfortable giving each other feedback side to side? So where would you start on that one? Mm-hmm. Also, I like the idea that we're on some sort of train and each station <laughs> is one of these questions. Yeah. This is going to harken back to other conversations we've had on this podcast. See also Alistair's conversation about ASCATs, the mastery conversation that we had around Christmas time for like, how do you know if you're good at shit? And the radical candor feedback conversation that we had with Kim Scott a while ago. So so those those eps get into a lot more depth and, and more tactics. But there are a couple of things that usually come up peer-to-peer feedback-wise. And that that I think are helpful to tease apart. One mm-hmm. is that depending on the altitude of peers we're talking about, we might not share a lot of work. And so it's really difficult to give people helpful feedback if you're not in work with them. And so I think noticing that and and then parsing the feedback to be, okay, Aaron and I make a podcast together. And so we're going to give each other feedback on how we're making this podcast versus Aaron and I are both people who work in a system and notice things about each other. And we are going to ask for feedback based on those noticings. I think it's helpful to parse those. Usually I feel like feedback in the work about the work is more useful because Mm -hmm. a lot of the other stuff just gets into like preference and style and bias and that's very squishy. But at least at a peer-to-peer level, be clear about what kind you're asking for. And if you want to say like, hey, you're just a person who sees me in the wild and I want to know what you notice about me, that's totally fine. But like be clear that it's that versus like we're trying to launch a product together and I want you to comment on my capability in doing my role. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think you do have to have you have to have the right context to have the right conversation. Yeah. That's why I, I go back to just the complexity of, of interpersonal relationships on teams and basically say that part of the work of being in a self-organizing or a self-managing or even just like a generally non-hierarchical team is contracting with others to define the kind of relationship you want to have. Yep. And so if you, you know, if you want feedback about X versus Y, if you want to get it in the in a certain formal way or an informal way, like everyone is effectively determining with each person that they interact with, what is our jam going to be? Like, yeah. how are we going to do it? And if you do that without any intentionality, it may not serve you well, or at least you'll just kind of get what you get. It'll be a, it'll be a luck of the draw thing dynamically. But if you can be someone that shows up with even a little bit of intentionality, like Every time I start a new relationship or a new team or a new project, I do kind of make a few occasions to put out there what I'm looking for, how I like to interact, noticing when things don't work for me, calling it out. Like there's a little bit of vulnerability and a little bit of bravery involved in just making time to have those conversations. 
then I think then I think like the pipes are open. And then once there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a rapport and a style there, then it just feels very effortless. And mm-hmm. so I feel like for the people that I'm closest to at the ready, it's kind of like the spigot's always on. There's a threshold of like annoyance or interestingness or challengingness that like something has to cross before we mention it. But we know how and when to mention it. And it just like it doesn't carry as much gravitas or fear as maybe it did when I first met someone. Mm -hmm. So I do think, yeah, contracting is the name of the game. And it's like a skill that we never had to have in the hierarchy where we were just told who would tell us and who we would tell. And that was that. And now it's like, no, now you're like forming friendships with boundaries. It's a whole different animal. Yeah. And, and two things that you alluded to that, are important. One is in the example you used, you were the person who initiated. And I think, you know, if peer-to-peer feedback is missing in your organization and it's something that you think is important to instantiate, you go first. Like don't be, don't show up and be like, hey, I have some feedback for you. Start with asking for it and being specific about what you're looking for, just like you said. And then the other thing is, you know, feedback should be consent-based. So if you do mm-hmm. notice something and you really want to mention it to someone, you should ask them if they want to hear it because otherwise you're just replicating the same old crappy stuff that is true of of hierarchy and bureaucracy where your manager just calls you in and tells you why you suck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Self-manage it. Hashtag self-manage it. You can stop listening to this podcast now. (laughs) Fast forward. (laughs) Okay. Next stop on the train, (laughs) I hope we're in Prague, is prioritization in team settings. So a lot of times prioritization of work or a roadmap or a feature set will fall to the product manager or a scrum master or a team lead. And it is often done not in a collaborative way. So this person was asking, like, what's a more participatory way to prioritize and to commit to work so that the the planning is not separated from the doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems to me that prioritization is something that kind of fits with the rhythm stuff that we always talk about. So Mm -hmm. meetings and organizations and operating systems, they all are on some kind of a rhythm. That's just the natural order of things. It's the seasons, right? Turn, turn. But we get to pick the rhythm and we also get to pick the, the measure and degree of our commitment. And so I always think when it comes to prioritization, I want to have a rhythm that matches the rate at which things change in my space where we do the coming together and the like sensing and thrashing as a team about what the priorities are and plant some flags and make some decisions. And I want to then have the ability with between those intervals to steer because I obviously don't want to lose the right to like change the priorities, but I don't want to make that so easy that we kind of rubberneck all over Mm -hmm. the, all over the place because of what could happen. So my view is that a, To make it more participatory, then we have to get everyone coming together on that rhythm. And whatever it is, could be every six weeks or 12 weeks or four weeks or, you know, quarterly or whatever it is. And and that when people are coming to that rhythm, they're coming to help make sense and to help, you know, influence and shape what the priorities will be. From there, you can have either a consent-based decision, a role-driven decision. Like, you can decide how to finish 
the prioritization process based on your power structure. But the idea is that the participation is that everybody coming and sharing what they see and mm-hmm. what they value, whether that's with, you know, monopoly money or with conversation, it doesn't matter, just getting it out there. And then, and then uh, very importantly, I think prioritization needs to be open in a second order way, which is between and amongst teams. So mm-hmm. when we make priorities, they are cast up, down, left, and right and very visible and very pull-based, maybe even push, so that everyone's like, all right, I can see what everyone else is doing, and then now if I want to adjust or recalibrate, I can do that. So the idea of it being like this breathe in, breathe out, being done by teams in an open way, and then being shared openly with all the other teams, and perhaps using that as a jumping-off point for one adjustment, that's kind of where my head goes on this on this whole game. But obviously the the specific timing and the specific power structures within that vary by category and timing and scale and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. I don't know. What would you add? I mean, I learned a lot about prioritization from you. So (laughs) I don't know. So hopefully I'm doing it right. The only things I would add are these. One is I like the idea of more fidelity in the near term. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is... I feel like where prioritization sometimes falls apart is that we look at a roadmap or something that's four quarters and we expect to have the same level of confidence in quarter four as quarter one. Right. And so we like do a lot of hand wringing about what could happen between now and then. And I I do think there's a counter move where it's just like, you know, we we should be 80 percent right about Mm -hmm. what we're after for the next four weeks and 60% for the next four months, and 20% for the next four quarters. And and like having some tolerance around that, that there's nothing wrong with making a guess, but we should all be clear that it is a guess. And then a quarter from now, you know, we should cast out another quarter and get really clear on this one. I, I think that's often missed and is useful. I also think that revisiting current priorities in terms of what shape they're going to take in the coming quarter is helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is, and I, and I think we've done a good job of this at the ready in the last couple of trimesters, particularly around initiatives. It's like you can have a project or a program or an initiative that is that is persistent quarter on quarter, and the outcomes for that quarter can and should evolve. So right. rather than just being like, okay, these are our top 10 priorities let's check them off as we go. Like, I think there's a more interesting conversation that is, if these are our top 10 priorities, what is the outcome or outcomes for this quarter that we're after? Right. And then the last thing I would say, because I said this to someone this week, and I feel like they sort of were surprised and then also (laughs) delighted, is it is okay and in many ways preferable to fully pause a priority if there is not time, space, and energy to do it. Because, A, it means it's not necessarily really a priority right now. And that doesn't mean it wasn't when we started. It just means that the world changes. And I would always rather that we had three big things we were after and that I was just going to cool my jets on the thing that I don't actually have time for for a quarter. And then if it trust that it'll come back if it's really important. And then that will be turbo about it. Like, I just see people half-ass too many things rather yeah. than like go hard on a couple and just be like, you know what, that one, we're just going to fully ice for a yep. minute. Yep. I, the, the emotional 
content of prioritization is the hard bit. Yes. That is the bit that matters. And and we are, it's not actually hard to do the strategic part. The hard part is literally living with your choices and following through and letting things go. And we've been implementing a kind of a modified version of the of the shape up method from Basecamp, Mm -hmm. which you can check out the book by the same name online if you want. It's free to read. But we've been implementing that at Murmur. And and what is really interesting about that method is there's no backlog. Mm -hmm. You make bets every eight weeks. The bets you actually bring to the table are whatever everyone brings from their own personal lists or their own minds. Whatever you pick is what you pick. And the whole thing gets wiped clean, which is not that different from the initiative process at the ready either. And and there's something really painful about like, oh, yeah, we're not going to capture that anywhere as shared. And right. and the whole idea is like, yeah, if it's really important, it'll come back. It'll come back. If it, it matters. It's, yeah, it's not like these great ideas are just like mythical unicorns that we can't grasp. Like they're out there. They're going to come back. Customers are going to ask for them. Issues are going to occur. Like there is no idea that's so amazing. It's going to change your business. That is also forgettable. Of course. That's not a thing. And if it's a real priority, it answers a real felt tension and you don't forget about those. You don't show up to the meeting and go like, oh, we forgot that we haven't sold anything and that we have to fire everyone. Like everybody knows. Everybody knows what the things are that we really have to plan around. Yeah. And to your point about the clarity now versus in the future, we so woefully overestimate our ability to know what's going to happen next that you just have to again and again remind yourself I don't know what the fourth quarter is going to be like. Legitimately, I read an article this morning, $1,000 invested in Dogecoin on January 1st would buy you a Tesla Model S today. Oh, my God. That's how fast the world changes. Yeah. It's just like something's going to happen. And that's a joke. It's a literal joke cryptocurrency. And it's changing that fast. Yeah. So you just have to expand that humility to all things. Yes. And then really dial in on like what's a cycle we can we can predict and and actually make some progress in. Yes. And I want to go back to your point about the emotional burden of this because I hadn't <laughs> really thought about it before, but I feel, I feel it. I feel it in my heart. People have so much guilt. You know, if you're if you're like theory why about humans and you believe that people ultimately want to contribute and be helpful and do shit and make right. meaning, then right. you also believe that basically people feel really shitty when they don't do the things that they <laughs> want to do and commit to doing, which I find to be almost always true. Yeah. And so part of prioritization at an individual level and in terms of what you bring to a team or system is doing the work of being like, rather than feeling shame every day for not making progress, I am going to rip this Band-Aid off publicly one time and say, (laughs) there's no world (laughs) in which I'm making progress on this for the next quarter. Okay, everybody? And I know it feels harder because it feels like a bigger swing in the moment, but it feels so much better once you've made that commitment and we've all signed up that like, you know what? We're just not going to have that new dashboard this quarter. Okay? And then I'm just not going to think about it 30 times a day for the next four months while I don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the when and where you can do that, it's incredibly freeing. And also the, the, like, I don't know if this is counter advice or if this is, is like parallel advice, but what we've done with the course that we're working Mm. on (laughs) is an example of a third way, I guess, which is, 
We didn't we didn't go all in on it and prioritize it. We didn't take it off the list, but we've really had to practice the emotional art of just giving ourselves a fucking break about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? We're going to chip away at it the one or two hours a week that we can spend. We're not going to judge each other or ourselves for that anymore. And it took some doing to like get in that headspace. But after we did, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is just like a very long lead thing that yeah. I garden at a little bit here and there. And eventually you look back and you're like, oh, we made a ton of progress on that. We really but did. it's not a priority. No, it's not. Importantly. Yes. It's not a priority. It's a hobby. It is a hobby. And in just hearkening back to it's not the people, it's the system, part of us expressing to each other that it felt like shit to show up every week without anything to ship was data that informed our operating rhythm, which became two hours a week, the three of us sit here and work on something <laughs> because none of us have time right. or energy or whatever. Time. This is the time. So we're not going to show up here to show each to demo because we don't have anything to demo. And then we got into an opera where it was a two hour a week hobby. And then when a client was like, we want this, we were like, okay, like we actually have enough to finish this yep. by the time a client wants it. So yep. because we have been, you know, because we've been gardening for a year or more, <laughs> I don't know, forever. Speaking of showing up with things to demo, um, the next topic on our list here is all hands meetings. Oh, no. You don't want to talk about priorities for the rest of this episode? All right. You know, my priority right now is to finish our little list here. The all hands meeting, what it's good for, what it's not good for, and why they usually suck. Uh-huh. In three words or less. Go. Wait, why they suck in three words or less? <laughs> PowerPoint presentations. That's two words. <laughs> That's why and that suck. pretty much nails it. Yeah. Yeah. All hands meetings are usually garbage. And they shouldn't be because you know what? People like hearing from their leaders. I mm. don't really know why, mm. but people do. I hear it all the time. They're like, I just, I really appreciate the transparency. And I'm like, those were prepared remarks, but cool. <laughs> I'm, glad it, I'm glad it felt good. So look, I, I do think that there is, especially if you are working in like a big function, I do think that there is a role for an all hands. Mm -hmm. And like anything else, I would prefer that it is participatory in some way, steered by the user, i.e. the participants in some way, and that it's constrained in some way that makes it feel useful so that it's not just like the leader talks and then the other leader talks and then the third leader talks. And then after everyone has stopped screen sharing their PowerPoint with like last quarter's financial results, we open it up for questions, but we know mm -hmm. no one will ask them. So we planted them in the audience. Like, I just, I don't want us to do that. Yeah, I think... This is like a trapping of an old world that hasn't been fully reinvented yet. It, it assumes a lot, right? So like right off the bat, an all hands assumes that we're all in time zones that are compatible to be somewhere at the same time. Sure. Which in the like remote first world that we now live in, especially post pandemic, is like probably not true. I mean, it might be true for certain teams or groups or units, but like an actual company wide all hands is going to get harder and harder to schedule. Yeah, it is often not true. Right. And then the other thing is like the coordination involved. There is an element of mandate in in agreeing to like we're all going to be somewhere at the same time and drop everything to be there. Mm -hmm. So I have become recently enamored with not all hands, but like doing something that's going to everyone. So, you know, make a loom, make a video, do something fun, like create, you know, create a document, do something that is still interesting and, and has texture and is content. Don't necessarily make us all be there at the same time, particularly if the thing you're doing is just communicating one way. 
Like, I do not need to see yeah. the Grand Poobah leader stand on stage and walk me through 10 slides of PowerPoint when that could be a loom. Yeah. Like, let me watch that when I'm doing whatever I want to do. So I do think that moving to asynchronous all-hands methods is one move. And then the other move is to connect the dots between the things all hands can be good for and the the recent episode that we did about retreats mm-hmm. and about getting away. Because yeah. to me, that's the all hands. Yeah. Like that's the moment where being together actually serves a purpose. And it's not about announcements or talking about, you know, or doing like AMAs that are actually fake and planted and all that shit. It's like just being together with with all of our hands and and seeing what where that leads. So I kind of yeah, I kind of argue that we need to just pull it apart into its requisite pieces and put them where they belong. Yeah, I agree. But if you already have an all hands on the calendar, because it's part of your team's vibe or your function's mm-hmm, vibe, mm-hmm. a really easy swap that is palatable to most people and I think is a better version than the vast majority of what I see out there is for the leader to restate the essential intent. Mm-hmm. Because it's nice to hear that spoken into the world by the person <laughs> who maybe created it. And then a real for a real AMA. I mean, um, a leader that I worked with for a long time started doing AMAs and it was rad. Also, know if you're the kind of person who is going to be rad on the answering end of an AMA. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Yeah, and yeah. if you're really dry and you're really uncomfortable being put on the spot and That's you want to have pre-wired questions, maybe not so much an AMA for you, maybe a video for you that you just get 17 takes at and send to the world. But if you're someone with a great personality who loves to be sort of on the hot seat in that way, try an AMA because they're fun and people like them. And people ask questions if you create some kind of like shield that they will not ask you somewhere else, mm-hmm, which is also mm-hmm. interesting. Or try a rotation. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot of, of, of people that lead and can lead in your business. Do an eight week rotation schedule where like different functions, different groups, different projects get to kind of hold the floor and bring whatever they can bring to the table. I think that could be cool too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last up is a listener wanted to know more about self set pay. I don't know what specifically, just in general, more about it. <laughs> more on self-set pay. It's really hard. It's not for the weak of heart, you know, <laughs> for the faint of heart. It, yeah, it's as much a practice as it is, you know, a method. Um, yeah, I think the thing about, about self-set pay is it is, it's done a lot of different ways by a lot of different organizations in our neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. But the thing that they all have in common is that they almost always started with transparency. Yes. Let's just get the news out there of what's going on. If you work for the government, that's already done. Good for you. If you don't, like that can be the first step. And I think we've mentioned this before in the pod, but I'll just say that the the change is disruptive. The actual practice is not. So mm-hmm. it is the upheaval of the old way or the lack of information symmetry, et cetera, that creates this like challenge and dissonance and conflict in the system. Once that's over, once the storm passes, it's all this like at the end of the day, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. And so you kind of just have to steal yourself for like, if we're going to do this, we're going to start with transparency. That can be really disruptive. Then when we get through that cloudy storm and get comfortable with that. Then the next thing we're going to do is move in this direction. That's going to be a little disruptive for a minute. And then we get to the other side of it. And then it's really just like a tweaky thing. Like, let's mm-hmm. just keep turning the dials, helping people out, providing better advice, providing better data, like then you're on the other side of the fence. So I don't know if you want to get into our specific practices or not here, but my my general thesis is like transparency, storm, 
self-set pay, storm, practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's a lot. It's very noisy. And also, I think if you're embarking on that journey, you just have to respect that people have really serious money stories <laughs> and like, you know, generationally informed trauma related yeah. to money. It's like, you know, it's it's it is quite literally easier said than done because once you bring in the messiness of everyone's upbringing and relationship yeah. to yeah. like money as worth and and you know and swings in wealth and stability and uh, politics and like it just it it is gnarly it is gnarly and and to your point the practice itself is not the the outcome after the storm is also fairly drama free, but that the th- the mm-hmm. threshold in between is wild. It's it's literally the same as if you were like, "Hey, let's redefine our relationship with parents." Right, and it's just like no no one would be like, "Oh, I'm sure we can do that in a quarter." Like it's just It'll probably not gonna, be fine. It's not going to go well, right? Like it's going to be messy. So yeah, I think I think it is money. You could just substitute money for parents in anything you're saying about subset pay and be like, "That's how hard it's going to be." That's how hard it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, but in the same way, if you just like get yourself up for it, you can do that work. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing crazy surprising on the other side of that rainbow. It's yeah. just, it's going to be the same stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The one question I do want to ask you is, what in your mind is our next money experiment to propose? At the ready? Yeah. I don't really feel like talking about what we already do because there's nothing that I'm excited to talk about at this moment. But what do you, what do you think is next based on what we've learned? I think there could be a few things that might be next. One of them is I think we could lean more into the micro enterprise uh, marketplace model stuff and actually have money flowing totally. between P&Ls in our system in a way that right now we simulate but don't actually do. Yeah. I think that I we can't could, wait. I'm going to have so it, many hustles. It's going to be great. You're going to you're going to kill it. The other thing that I could see happening is a little bit more of like entrepreneurial structures. So for the course, for example, Mm. we piloted this experiment of like, we don't want to get paid for developing it in the traditional initiative way that the ready does things. We want to get like a little piece of the upside as individual members. Yeah, that's new for us. And so I wouldn't be surprised that could either be a really good idea, a really bad idea, we'll find out. But like, I could see that giving, you know, spawning other similar experiments. Yeah. And then I think the you know the last one, which is sort of obvious, but but possibly the hardest, is just there's still more work to do around equity, sure, and and inclusion and diversity and and all that stuff that is just full of blind spots and paradoxes. So mm-hmm. we're, I'm sure there'll be some innovations there as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Did I miss anything that is like um, obviously on the horizon? No, those are those are good ones. And like you know, on the course thing. Even just hearkening back to the conversation we just had, like, I remember proposing that because I thought it would be fun. Mm -hmm. And people were definitely reactive about it. They were like, I don't know why this bothers me, but I'm mad. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's try it. Get it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, it's like, it, it again, it's just a thing to keep in mind because something like that, for example, if you're going to experiment in your own place with things, it's like something like that theoretically is beneficial to everyone like we don't get paid unless we are making a shitload of money for the company right and 
everybody who sells it can get a piece of it. It's recurrent. All of the things. And yet, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. the initial still... reaction is just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so I my, my, my theme of the week about everything is don't mistake discomfort for correctness or incorrectness mm-hmm. because that's just what we do. So I, I just wanted to say that out loud. And I think the other things that I'm interested in is more standardization based on what we've learned so far. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'm curious to run an experiment around sort of, you know, small, medium and large prologue members from an, from an experience or skill set perspective coming in at three fixed rates. Yep. Because I just, I feel like going through a self-set process when you're new in a system and you have a ton to learn and a huge curve is really challenging for people. And it's sort of like, you're sort of like, you're set up then and you're in it at a certain level and then changing it later comes with its own, not not workflow challenges. You can do that whenever you want, but psychological challenges. So I'm curious about sure. that. And I'm curious about something similar for internal work. So I just, I'd like us to have a level of fidelity around what internal work is worth to us because you and I have had some good conversations about how to think about it. And I don't, I don't think we've landed on something that, I think we've landed on something that works in the micro, but probably doesn't scale super well. And yet I do think that having people do both internal and external roles is very valuable for a variety of reasons. Sure. And so I'm curious to like crack that nut, but I don't actually know what the first experiment is. It's probably <laughs> looking at the data so far. Right, right, right. No, I agree with that 100%. I like your point about the early days in this too. I think the thing you often forget when you've been in the system for a while is how much information you have. Yes. And and that's emotional and, you know, literal information data that you can use to to calibrate. It's almost like someone comes into your kitchen and you're like, "More salt in the chili?" Right. And they're like, "Never tasted it. Don't know the recipe. <laughs> I'm going to say yes cuz salt sounds good, but like I don't know." Sure. So, I do think that there's room for some kind of acclimation period that we have more guardrails and more support structures in place. And the only other thing I wanted to say on this, and then I think I am, then I have hit the bottom of the ice cream tub, is the thing about the your guttural reaction to something being uncomfortable or different in the money space. I think where that stems from is our awareness of the different polarities around incentives and money and identity and systems. And mm. so often when people are reacting, they're upset because they feel tension between different things they care about. Like, I want to be a very collective place, but mm-hmm. I want to be, but I personally want to like get ahead. You know, yeah. I want like, I want us to be very profitable, but I want us to be, you know, to be very sherry. So there's all these, I think there are all these polarities working around money that mean that you can definitely tune into the discomfort and play through it. And you should. And the main thing to be watching for is not should or should we try that or should we not try that, but what happens as a result yes. of it and do we like it or not? Yes. So if, you know, it's like we could debate for hours if that is a good idea or a bad idea. Instead, and this goes back to a lot of, you know, frequent podcast wisdom, t-shirt slogans, like learn by doing, do the damn thing and then right. find out like, did that make us do something that we didn't like? Did it change some, some tenor of the place in a way that we want to pivot around? And as long as you're checking in on that you know, early and often, it's not like you're going to do irreparable damage to the company culture by having one project have like an incentive. Yeah. You just see what happens and and rinse and repeat. Yeah. It's it's all trade-offs. And you know <laughs> all the, the way down. The the shortest summary of that is that about once every retro, every trimester, someone will be like, should we go back to just being salaried consultants? 
And then someone goes, I love that. do you actually want to do that? And it's like, no. No. And it's like, okay, well, all you right. know, there, there it is. There it is then. <laughs> like, you know, we're always going to sort of ponder the, the path not traveled. And that's fine. But to your point, like, notice the polarity and that we just can't have it both ways. Yeah. Trade-offs are trade-offs and like make them, swap them. The, the thing that I like about our culture that I wish I could, you know, rubber stamp into others is the best way to understand trade-offs is to play with them yes, and live with them and them. be on both sides of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, then you really know in your gut what it means, right? Otherwise, yeah. it's just theoretical. Like, yeah. oh, this might make us more mercenary. Who the hell knows? It might. And maybe that feels great. Right. Let's do it. And then when you hate it, you tell me and then we won't do it anymore. Yeah. 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 So I want to I wanna make more of a mess to understand trade-offs in a somatic way. I want ice cream. Okay, great. We nailed it. That seems like a pretty good place to draw things to a close. Ice cream and uh, getting to the bottom of things. Thank you all for sending us provocative questions. Hopefully you enjoyed our This and That episode. Uh, If you did, leave us a review. Or if you didn't leave us a review, just leave us a review. Or uh, forward our show to someone who needs it. I love the, like, you know, all doors lead to leave a review. (laughs) What's behind this one? Oh, it's a review. A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good, as he always does. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, of course, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. Send us your questions, your thoughts, your feedback. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.